This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Canine Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I've got several friends of mine from uh, all over, most of California, and then uh, I got uh, Cameron Ford out of Las Vegas, but I have Tyler Clark. He's in Reno. I have Chris Oliver and Bill Jones from uh, California. The five of us teach a lot uh, together every year at the Western States Canine Association, which you've uh, probably heard some live broadcast from, but I threw out a few... Uh, emails and text messages over the last week. Just wanted to get them up together and kind of do a quick podcast with a few experts. And I wanted to, one of the things I want to talk about was a couple of questions that I've had submitted to me through the podcast. So if you have questions and you want answered by myself or by a panel, please just uh, email me at jeff at hitscanine.net and I'll put the questions in the queue and sooner or later I'll be able to get to them and I get some really good questions and good feedbacks through this podcast, so I do appreciate it and keep them coming. But I wanted to uh, get everybody together, go through a couple of the questions, and then also kind of, I have a question of my own. It'll be the first kind of thing we're going to talk about. It's kind of the state of the the industry and what's going on with uh, specifically our industry in regards to patrol dogs and where everybody kind of thinks uh, we're at, where we're going and stuff. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to go down and uh, introduce everybody. So first on the list, I have Tyler Clark. How are you doing tonight, Tyler? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you jumping on with us. Can you give me a quick, for the readers or listeners uh, that haven't, uh, didn't hear the last time you were on here, can you just uh, do a quick little background for us? Sure. I spent uh, 25 years at the Reno Police Department. I've been now training and, and working in canine for 30 plus years. I started prior to joining the police department around 1988 as a reserve officer and started out where everybody else starts out, sleeping dogs and, and learning about the program and learning about dog training and handling. Rose up through the ranks from just a handler to uh, handling a dual purpose narcotics patrol dog, then handling bomb dog patrol dogs and becoming the unit trainer. And then uh, working nationally, going out to some national seminars. So I still stay involved in it, even though I'm retired and doing a lot of good stuff with Western states every year. And that's been a, that's been a godsend keeping me involved in it. So enjoying it and got a wealth of, I I consider it old school knowledge. So I lean on a lot of old school stuff. So you'll hear a lot of old school stuff from me. Okay. That's, it's always welcome. Uh, Cameron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I know most of our listeners have heard you and I together on this podcast several times and stuff. So why don't you, instead of going through a big background, just tell us what you're up to right now. Yeah. So right now I'm doing a lot of education. So in the form of seminars, webinars, videos, things like that. So we're just doing a lot of content, mostly related to what, you know, I just coined the term odor pays kind of concept, teaching delayed conditioning, and then the cognition stuff, the stuff that you've had me on talk about before. We're just expanding a lot of that and doing raising dogs from puppies to adult detection dogs. And uh, we can find you at FordK9.com, right? You got that right. Sounds good. Chris Oliver, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I haven't had you on our podcast before, so can you just give us a little background about you and tell our, our listeners all about your your dog world experience? So I got 21 years in corrections. I've been dog handling for about 10 years now, training for about five Got to run my own company, Canine First Detection Training, uh, as well as detection trainer for DTAC Canine, Sacramento area, and doing a bunch of nose work stuff. That's pretty much yeah. where I'm at. And I know, I know you do a, a lot of different training, including the nose work. And I think what's interesting about the nose work is, I mean, I've talked to Cameron about that, is although it's not, obviously, they're not cops and civilians and stuff, right. I, I'm sure you learn a lot because you're seeing some dogs that we would probably never pick and handlers we'd never pick and somehow they still meddle through it. So as a trainer, it's got to be an excellent way to, to kind of hone your skills in a little bit by, by dealing with that group of people, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Every, every dog in itself is a, is a classroom and it's in its own. Yeah. A lot of them show up, no drive. You got to build the drive. You got to get them to do it. Then there's some that show up that I want to put in my crate and take to work. Sure. I'm sure you see everything. And then it's probably fun because I, I'm, everybody's there that wants, you know, they want to be there. And I'm sure the, 
the attitudes are always real good. So I'm sure it's kind of a, a different environment, but it's got to be fun for knowledge, you know. Oh, it's it's definitely a great time. Yeah. Definitely and, a great time. Well, thanks for jumping on tonight. And uh, Bill Jones, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. You also have never been on our podcast before, so can you give our listeners, you know, background about uh, what brings you here? And uh, you're, I know you've been around for quite a while, too. Sure. Well, my law enforcement career, I had about almost 29 years in law enforcement. I was a deputy sheriff in Los Angeles County for close to 10 years, and then I lateraled up to Modesto PD in 97, and there I... What I became a member of our canine unit. I've been working dogs now for over 23 years. I was an active handler with two dogs. My first dog was single purpose patrol only. And my second dog was dual purpose. And now I'm working with top dog police training and consulting in Ron Cloward. And like I said, I have a total of going on 23 years now. So that's my background. And I know with uh, with Ron, you guys are real busy. So, like, I think just today you guys started a new class with a dozen or so teams in it? Yeah, we just started our basic handler school, which starts out at eight weeks. And we have several dogs that are just going through the detection portion of it that are actually working now. Yeah. So they'll be with us for three weeks, and then they'll transition back to their position. And then we have a couple more dogs that actually – are going to new handlers, but are dogs that are currently certified and working. So it varies. But yes, we started actually with 11 and we lose a couple, but then we're going back to 13 for the patrol aspect of it. So it varies and we have to think on the fly and just kind of keep going. But, sure. you know, we're we're here for them. But as a, as a trainer, you're putting your hands on a lot of dogs and and helping a lot of different teams every every year, I imagine. So it's, it's just like I was saying with Chris, it's a great experience. Yeah, yeah, we have, I would say, well over 20 agencies that we do maintenance training. So we're with them at least two, three, four times a month yeah. that we're working, and it's dual-purpose yeah. and single-purpose yeah. dogs. That's fantastic. All right, guys, well, thanks for the introduction. So one of the things, like I said, I wanted to talk about tonight, um, my question that I'll pose to you guys is, Specifically, when we're talking about patrol dogs, what is everybody's opinion on the state of our profession right now as to, you know, the stuff that's going on with our profession? What does everybody think, uh, how do patrol dogs fit in now and uh, what's the future hold for them? So, um, Tyler, you got an opinion on that? Yeah, I do. I still I still believe wholeheartedly that, that there is a place for the patrol dog in modern policing. And I, and I say that and I want to qualify that with the statement that the only way to have a successful program and maintain a successful program countrywide is to is to provide the handlers with the adequate training necessary to make them patrol dog handlers and and that started all the way back in the in the 90s I saw it happening where my first experiences with dogs was a phone would ring at the at the PD and somebody would call and say, hey, I've got this German Shepherd and it's killing the cats in the neighborhood. Yeah. I think it'd be a great police dog. And and somebody at our department would say, yeah, let's go out and get it. And we go get it and try and train it. Yeah. And that was and that was the mentality. And sadly, that caused a lot of problems, but it also taught me a lot. Sure. And um, the, where I'm going with this is if if you're going to have the liability of a patrol dog program within your department then you have to do it right and doing it right means a quality handler candidate who's tested and vetted a quality dog candidate that's tested and vetted and trained properly and then when they're married together then they need to actually go through a full training program just like an officer would have to sure. go through when you start on the street. Sure. When you start on the street, you're not handed a gun and a badge and your vest and a car and said, go do great work. You have to go through an academy. Sure. You have to go through a field training process. And then then you go through your probationary status and move on onto the department and work and learn. 
the dog teams have to do the same thing. You have to go through some type of structured handler course where you learn how that dog was trained if you're not training it yourself, how that dog operates, what that dog can do and can't do, and how to fix any problems that you have with that dog. And and the time limits can vary. I, I, and I'm not going to set any specific times that I think it needs to be. But after that, when you get back to the department, you need to go through a field training program with the other experienced canine handlers. You need to spend time on the street learning how deployments work, how to properly utilize the dog, how to document the usage of the dog, how to document the training of the dog. And then after you've passed that, it's time to go out on your own and, and start doing the work. But in today's day and age with the liability that we have out there, the way some of these departments I've seen do it, it's it's going to kill us. I agree. I agree. I think there's a, there's some uh, low-hanging fruit, I guess, for the, for those who want to attack us. This might be an area where where we're all going to have to band together and show that we're we're professionals and we're doing it the right way, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Cameron, do you have anything to add on that? I mean, yeah, a lot of the great points brought up. The other thing is we are in basically a cultural revolution when it comes to how law enforcement is viewed. And similar, if we look back in time to how military was treated during the Vietnam War, Law enforcement is in that same kind of category now. You're not trusted. You're disliked. The media you know, puts out lots of information to kind of stoke these flames. And dogs bring up a lot of aspects from the past that represent things like oppression, violation of rights, and so forth. And with that culture changing, training has to be addressed. Just like Tyler said, we have to change the training, not to be just so much focused on the dog, but on the officer. There's a lot of seminars out there. There's a lot of different trainers out there. They do a lot of stuff with that looks, that makes great YouTube videos and great videos for social media and look at all the cool stuff we can do. Where is the training? You know, as you guys know, I did some training for about four years with Naval Special Warfare. And one of the things that we focused on as instructors was teaching the process of accountability, decision-making, owning these decisions, going through them, setting up training that creates these failures, you know, many times that we can learn from because the safest place to fail was in our training. And then with that failure, we can apply lessons learned take accountability for those decisions being made. And then that way, when we see these pictures that may happen to us in reality, this isn't the first time, in this case, officers have been faced with this. There are a lot of guys like all of these on the panel today and other ones that are out there that have been cops for a lot of years that are now retiring for any number of reasons. They are a wealth of knowledge that needs to be shared that can go out there and share experiences. This is what happened to me on a call. Let's run Let's run, and let's see what happens with what you guys do. I'm not going to tell you how it went down, but here's the call I went through. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And put these current handlers through these levels of stress because with the things that didn't exist many years ago, now we got body cameras. Now we got all these perspectives that get examined. So we need to spend more time training this aspect as much as a dog, because everybody on this panel and all these good, other good trainers out there will tell you, when I go to a seminar, there's no way I'm going to train your dog in three days. So I'd rather train you in three days and help you make better decisions that may help us avoid being under the microscope in the future that jeopardizes the use of dogs yep. going down the road. I agree. I agree. Well stated. Chris, how do you uh, see things? <laughs> well, Cameron kind of took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> reality-based training and being allowed to fail and growing from your failures. That's the biggest thing. Cause if you've never seen it, you're yeah. going to fumble your way through it and you're probably going to mess it up. And that's where we're going to fail. Yep. So if we don't put feed it to them at the get go and get them to understand it and get them to think and put their wheels in motion in the handler's brain, that's where we're going to, we're going to fall off at. I agree. And both Tyler and Cameron pretty much summed it up. I'm sitting here laughing <laughs> going, all everything I was going to say, you guys are saying it. <laughs> well, it means we're all kind of on the same page. So that's a good thing. Yeah, so, uh, totally. 
How about you, Bill? Are you seeing anything or hear anything different? Well, exactly. And again, I don't want to reiterate over the other three speakers, but it is decision making. It boils down simply to decision making. We as handlers, when we are called and that red handle's pulled and we get there, we want to interject a dog because we're there. Excellent and point. I feel point. I feel that we overstep it. It's need versus necessity. Yep. And it's like, okay, the dog can be needed, but is it necessary? Yep. And we try to do, you know, with our trainees, like we try to do things, decision making. Yes, is it within your policy? But yet, is it something that we really need to do? And that's what I'm finding out is that we get very tunnel visioned as handlers. We're there. It's our call now. Yep. And we interject our dog into something that maybe we need to take a step back, reevaluate, and maybe try something different. Yeah, it could be a dog call. But let's slow things yeah. down a little bit and let's think about, okay, now if I deploy my dog, what's plan B? Yep. And I, I think that that's really hard. I agree. And I think uh, obviously all of us that are you know in, in this uh, profession know that the big buzzword for, for all of police work right now in the last year, 18 months, two years, whatever, is de-escalation. And I think a lot of times we're not... Uh, we're not, we're doing, I think we're doing better on everybody has mentioned decision making scenarios and stress scenarios. And I think as a profession, we do better on those. But I don't know if, you know, now we need to make sure we're also adding into those scenarios that there needs to be some type of expectation for the officer to attempt to de escalate it before the dog's entered. And I'm not saying I like it, but that's the world we live in. That's, that's how I see it. Um, uh, Tyler, you, do you kind of agree with that or you see those kind of things? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, one of the, that's why I go back to handler selection. Um, yeah, it it's very important that you that you look at who you're putting into these positions and um, what their previous track record is, how well they work not only uh, as an individual officer on the street, but how well do they work with a team? Yeah. Because you're going to end up working with a team. Yeah. What type of leadership skills do they have? Can they lead by example? Or are they a quiet leader or are they the, the leader that's out there trying to get all the accolades? And yeah. and I've seen it in the past. And and canine is a horrible place to be in if you're counting tick marks on the side of your patrol car for every bite you get or exactly. something along those lines. I mean, that's that's the sometimes that's the mentality that's out there. And that's the mentality that's going to get us all all in deep, deep trouble. But I totally agree with the reality-based training. Yep. And and seeing stuff before you're actually going to see it on the street. Yeah. Um, in this day and age, you know you're going to be called to court way more than you would have been ten years ago, and you're going to get grilled, and you're going to get you are going to get sued. So yep. you need to be prepared for that, and the department has to be prepared for that. I agree. If the department is going to have a program again. It needs to be done right or don't do it at all. Yep, I agree. So as I said, I don't want to be doom and gloom. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this uh, this job now for 33 years and been a dog handler in some form, a good chunk of it. I never would have thought that in my mind I would think that there's a chance that, you know, that someone could make a, a decision and start eliminating police service dogs, at least patrol dogs in our industry. But... You know, as we've seen in lots of cities, big cities, small cities, they've even, like in the middle of a riot, we can't throw gas in certain situations. So once there's, you know, there's no common sense in my opinion. So once they start doing things like that, my fear is that maybe we get one chief who just decides for whatever reason, I'm out of the dog business. And then that spreads like a cancer. Like, well, if they're not doing it, well, we shouldn't do it either. We shouldn't do it. So I think... You know, what everybody here is saying is that if we, you know, build the very, very best foundation we possibly can, get the right dog, right handler, right training, right training records, uh, keep everything in check, and then do the best, uh, you know, decision making and audit those things throughout the time. So hopefully, if, uh, you know, that starts to be a trend at some point, 
when your chief calls you on the carpet and says, why do I even want these dogs that go out and bite people? You can have really good stats and you can uh, go back and, and show, you know, these are all the things we're doing different. And this is, this is why we need dogs. And here's the safety aspect of it. And unfortunately, we all know that, you know, safety, our safety isn't going to be a paramount concerned, you know, in this crazy world right now. So I think, uh, you know, have some other things to fall back on to show all the different uh, subjects we're talking about. I was saying, you bring up a good point. It's, it's today is a cancel culture. And when they don't like something, they cancel it. Yep. That's proven over and over and over again. And when you have administration that has political aspirations, that has to deal with the political aspect, what's an easy answer? Cancel it. Exactly. Get rid of it. Exactly. Defund the police, defund the canine unit, whatever exactly. you want to say. Yep. And like you, like you bring up, you know, if we aren't prepared and can't come up with a reasonable rebuttal to the concerns that get brought forward or actions from others, we are going to get canceled. I agree. And Tyler, did you have something too? Yeah, I just want, I, I wanted to touch on one thing that we as canine trainers, vendors, handlers, we have to be our own spokespeople. We have to get out there and and get with the public and talk to the public. I mean, the canine unit has always been a great PR tool, and it's been an awesome PR tool, but there's been a lot of times that it's been used in the wrong way as a PR tool when we're doing demos and everybody wants to see the bite work and that. You know, if, if we can push ourselves away from that a little bit more and be better advocates for ourselves as to what a patrol dog can do without biting, that's that's huge. And if and if people don't believe that we could lose this valuable tool, look at the carotid control hold. And look at what a monster that has become. And it's all become a monster. They took away a fantastic tool because of misrepresentation of what it was. Exactly. People speaking about it in the wrong terms that didn't know what they were talking about. And all that it got was the negative publicity. And now it's gone. Yep. So to, to piggyback on Tyler's thing, when I, you know, being in Modesto, we did demos. I, I probably did five, six, seven demos a month. And luckily, I mean, like I said, I had a dog that was very social. Both of my dogs were very social. I mean, I can go to first grade classes, second grade classes, and I could come out there and line them up and walk my dog and they can pet them and stuff like that. I didn't have to do bite stuff. I didn't have to do any of that. Sure. But, you know, the parents were out there and stuff like that. And, and the parents, I mean, they're the supporters. I agree. And just getting a dog out there and like, and he's a police dog. Like, yeah. He does his business, but you know what? He's still, you know, you can yeah. pet him. Not that I want every kid just to come up to pet every dog, but what I mean is getting at is like get in touch with the people you work yeah. for. No, that's a great point. And I, to that point, the first few years I was in canine, when we did demos, we did bite work. And then at some point the decision was made mostly because it was deteriorating our training. The dogs were learning. When I'm in front of a big crowd, I can maybe not released very well. I'm not going to get corrected. So I didn't like what I was doing the training. So we kind of argued to get away from any demo type stuff. And we'd bring the dogs out, let people, we'd talk to them, tell them about, you know, all the cool stuff about the dogs and what they did. And then that kept the dogs so low keyed that I had literally, I had thousands of people pet uh, most of my patrol dogs over the years because they weren't, they weren't all keyed up thinking they're going to do bite work and they're pretty mellow. And, uh, it, uh, never once did we get a complaint. Hey, we want to watch the dogs bite people. And so it really worked out quite well. I think it came across a little more professional. So I think that's that's a really good point to talk about. Chris, do you have anything else on this subject? No, just a, it's a bunch of great points. But uh, in the county that I work in, we did bite work as well in some of the demos that we went and did. And then we got away from it. Same thing. It, it kind of dogs weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and things like that. And and when we went into more of the meet and greet type stuff and communicating with the with the the community, doing some of the detection demos and stuff like that, and I mean, there's nothing better than having you know the dog find something and then all of a sudden it turns into a 45 minute conversation yeah. with 
folks that, you know, like they, the biggest thing I get is don't you have to give the dog drugs for them to understand it? Yeah. And, you know, and you sit there and you talk about them with the olfactory sensories, things like that. And they, they lose their mind over it. And then all of a sudden they're, they're on your side. Exactly. Yeah. And I imagine you, just like us, I don't think you probably had any complaints. Hey, you guys aren't doing bite work anymore, right? No, no, we don't need, I mean, we used to get a couple of, uh, Couple couple of demos that we did, they, they would request it, and we'd just nicely explain to them, hey, yeah. now we're not going to do that. We'll bring out the dogs. We'll do some scent demos and things like that, and they were they were all over it. Yeah. Well, I, can I piggyback on that? Absolutely. Now, Chris, you guys, we've all done demos. How many times have you gone out and done a demo to, like, a school, and later on you get a manila envelope with all kinds of cards, and the kids were like, oh, your dog is cool, and they got – you know, crayon drawings of your dogs. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the coolest thing ever is I, Oh Oh, yeah. Kane. Yeah. The thank you. The thank yous are the best. Those are the things that will help save, you know I mean? It sounds silly because we know that these dogs are, are saving officers lives and, and are, you know, force multipliers and all the great things we know the dogs do when you're at a, the level of a chief or a mayor or something like that, they don't think of those things, but you know, they would get, take the attention of the public being behind them and being the community police part of that, the aspect. So don't underestimate that, you know, and I, again, I just, I kind of wanted to talk to everybody about this at the end of the night because, you know, I've been around for a long time and I just think right now everything's on the table and it's too valuable of a tool to, to lose. And, uh, you know, as a final point, we can kind of just discuss real quick. I've seen like on social media, I've seen a few places where it's been said, uh, you know, the Supreme Court underground versus Connor, they're behind us and the Supreme Court's turned more conservative. So we're no problems with uh, patrol dogs. We're good to go. I don't see it that way. I still see it as, you know, this is a political animal that we're dealing with. And, you know, the everything's on the table as to what could be canceled, as Cameron said. So I think, you know, it, and I think, Billy, you mentioned need versus necessity. So all these great points, I hope everybody who's listening today is kind of thinking about that. You know, de-escalation, scenario-based training, stress scenario training, you know, picking the right dog, right handler. As a supervisor of a unit, make sure you're dialed in and you're staying on top of all of your handlers, making sure they're doing the right records, they're making good decisions on calls. And what I worry about is that, you know, a couple of, bad incidents you know there's a state that I, I deal with quite a bit and they had one bad incident and then the whole state uh, came under you know scrutiny and they're looking at body cam videos from you know years back of every apprehension so it's it's a precarious situation we're in but all's not lost I think there's more good than bad it's just uh, it's a time to have all the ducks in a row So on the same type of topic with detection dogs, what's the state of detection dogs right now? Where's everybody uh, kind of filling with that? So Chris, what do you think? Anything changing in the world of detection dogs and uh, anything we should be doing better? Uh, Well, California kind of dropped the ball on uh, felony versus misdemeanor now. Now I think that with the the way that training is growing and, and science is becoming involved and things like that, I think actually dogs are improving and with the knowledge that, you know, different trainers and stuff like that are actually going after dogs that have, you know, good genetics and things like that. Like Tyler said, we're not just picking the dog out of the backyard yeah. and trying to get them to go to work. Yeah. No, I think there's there's a good success rate that's going on. And now you're seeing more dogs go into, you know, more like gun detection and things like that because the value of narcotics have kind of fell down except for like some of the task force and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Cameron, what do you think? Things getting better? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like people probably hear when I'm doing a lot of these teaching or podcasts and things like that is we are truly at this point in time in a renaissance slash evolutionary period in detection dogs. There's We've learned more in the past 10 years than we've done in the previous 100 when it came to how the dogs process uh, odors, what are odors doing, how dogs learn. All of these things are much more uh, better understood now and applied than we ever did before. You know, when I, when obviously all of us had first got into this, detection dogs were all scratch alert dogs. Yep. And and then in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had the passive evolution. Yeah. 
And, you know, the old guys used to argue, oh, you know, passive alert dogs can't pinpoint. Like, my aggressive alert yeah. dog can scratch. I know exactly where it's at. Kind of, that was the argument. Oh, yeah. And then now the arguments are, you know, marker training versus paying at source. And, you know, this is that. And, you know, everything evolves. And in, in the, in the joke I constantly make in my classes is how, do, how many of us still operate using a typewriter? Exactly. We don't. Yep. Name any technology thing that we used 20 years ago. In the year 2000, what do we still use now? We, it changes. Yeah. And detection dogs are also in that. And with that is that educational aspect. Like Chris said, the quality of dogs, genetics, things that we look at now, there's more breeds of dogs. You couldn't find a pointer you not even seven years ago. Now yeah. they're much more popular. Sure. You know, as people know, I'm doing the Springers and all that kind of stuff. So. Sure. We are, we are definitely there. And in addition to that, just like Chris said too, the amount of disciplines in detection now is rapidly changing. I mean, you and I will probably be doing a podcast on the electronic media yeah. detection dogs. That is now, just like you know, Chris brought up again too, the firearms, criminal activity today is done almost nearly on every type of electronic media What's, what's that thing you, that rectangular black thing you hold in your hand? Yeah. That phone. Everything is done through that now. Yeah. And there's so much with crypto. We are in the wild west of cryptocurrency and, and you and I will get into this more in another yeah. one, but the digital detection, I mean, the electronic media detection dog or, uh, you know, there's a couple different acronyms for it. This is one of the detection fields of the future you know, we look at it now and go, oh, it's just yeah. related to sex crimes. No, it's not. No. There is significant amount yeah. of criminal activity from white collar crime to the embezzlement of, of money to, you know, human yeah. trafficking, narcotic, you know, basically the, how currency is transferred, how we're sending, you know, it used to be drugs north, money south. Well, yeah, yeah but now that money going south isn't in the form of paper. Sure. You know, it's QR codes, cryptocurrency, yeah. and all of this is stored on, you know, digital media. Yeah. No, so I think it's a great, it's a great field, you know, that's, that's, those are the things that are going to make detection dogs even, you know, more valuable in the future. Because to Chris's point, people has, just don't seem to be as worried about drugs right now. So I think uh, expanding into new things. Tyler, you mentioned that you do a lot of old school stuff. What's your take on today's uh, state of detection dogs? You know, I'm really, I'm really proud to see where detection has come to, and where it's going to go. Um, I've, I've always been an advocate of the detection side of the house. Um, I knew that at least in my agency, when we were working, you, it, it was, you know, one percent or two percent aggression work, and then ninety-five percent to ninety-eight percent detection work, and it was either narcotics explosives, evidence and article, you know, arson, yeah, yeah. those things, you know, and now to see the progress that has been made by, by some of these, some of these trainers and what they've been able to do with the dogs. I knew that there was possibilities out there. I just didn't know how vast they were until I started seeing it with my own eyes. And, and again, going back to, and, and my specialty was explosives. So I'll lean hard on that. Sure. Um, there is no better way to detect explosives than a well-trained, well-handled canine team. I agree. Period. I agree. You know, I, I spent time back when we could actually fly on planes with our dogs without having all the hassles that we had. And I remember, I remember one time them sweeping my dog <laughs> at the airport with their little vapor pads <laughs> and putting them into the vapor pad machine. And the dog was a bomb dog. <laughs> I spent a week doing explosives training, and I told them, if if your vapor machine is worth a damn, it's going to pick up yeah. explosives yeah. on my dog. Yeah, And they were like, Boop, green light, Go have ahead. a nice day. <laughs> yeah. And I walked right on through and boarded the plane with my dog and shook my head the whole entire time. And from that, that day forward, again, I knew wholeheartedly, trust the dog not the technology. I agree. And you train it the right way, you can train that dog to find a specific shampoo bottle in a grocery store. Exactly. If that's what you're going to look for. Exactly. So, again, it goes back to handler selection, dog selection, 
and training. Yep. And then along with that training, documentation and your ability to articulate. One of the things that was brought up a little bit earlier about, you know, fringe sitting or, or yeah. whatever you want to call it. That's what I ask my handlers whenever I'm whenever I'm doing certifications with them. I ask them, you know, what's your dog's final response going to be? And and then I caveat it with, don't tell me what I want to hear or you think I want to yeah. hear. Tell me what you're going to, how you're going to be able to tell your dog's on the alert. I want to know from you how that dog's on the alert. Because not every single dog is going to final. And in the way it was trained to final, um, if we if we are so rigid on that, way the dog gets paid you're gonna you're gonna open up into some issues yeah. with with some handlers and, and some dog teams so you know i'm a i'm an advocate of when i know my dog is getting an odor i can call the signs of it i may call him off before he even gets to final yeah. on a real search sure especially if it's an explosive search yeah yeah and i know he's an odor and i yeah. see his changes in behavior i'm not going to coax him into sitting because i no. think He's got to got to do it. I I'm going to step back and say that's where the that's where the explosive device is, and turn it over to EOD and let them find exactly, it and then go from there. Exactly. And Bill, I know you guys have trained lots of different teams. What do you, what are you seeing on the detection side of the house? I, I can tell you what I see going out uh, to Western states every year. The California dogs, I see fewer drug dogs and more gun dogs and more bomb dogs and everything. Yeah. We are seeing, okay, so like we have 11 dogs to start our first three weeks for detection, and five of them are narcotics, and six are, one's an EOD dog, and by the way, Cameron, we're using precision vapors. I don't know if Cameron's on. (laughs) Yep, that's me clapping for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Okay. Yeah, we're we're using his kit. This is our first dog with his kit. So we're working that. So one's an EOD dog, four are guns and ammo. So no, no, five are guns and ammo. Uh-huh. And then one it, or the other five are narcotics. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a tick in the opposite direction. Again, California. Yeah. Drugs are okay to get, but there's not, it, it, I don't want to say the punishment. I, I just want to regulate that with, Sure. You know, it's 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 more important. Let's get guns and ammo off the uh-huh. street and EOD. Yep. And then we have a couple dogs that we work with that are cell phone dogs that work in custody. Yeah. They're yeah. killing it. Yeah. So it's like more like everybody has said, it's more of a precision kind of odor yeah. that they're working for, more conducive to their environment. And that's what we're seeing. Yep. And so here's here's why I, the reason I wanted to ask you guys and talk about both of these questions because they're they're both related in my opinion, and I think what when you look at it, um, you know I've been a patrol dog handler. I had been one for a very long time, and now I work two single purpose uh, detection dogs. So I've done both, and the jokes I have with all my buddies who still are doing patrol dogs is, you know, just like a, you know you're not really a cop anymore. You're just working a bomb dog. Those kind of jokes and. But I think when you look at the detection side of of our profession versus the patrol side, we have evolved a little quicker on the detection side. We we saw you know as as an industry there isn't as many as much need for drug dogs. And right off the bat here, we have we've started finding other uses for the dogs. So we're keeping ourselves busy on the detection side. There's a agency here I train with a lot, and after they saw some of the the you know reasonably good success I've been having with my detection, my uh, gun dog, as they were doing their dual purpose dogs, they started switching some over instead of doing drugs, they're doing guns and patrol and they're killing it on the guns over there. So it's all it's doing is making their unit better. So my point of talking about both of them is if you're a single purpose patrol dog handler or your primary focus is patrol dogs, Kind of look at what the industry is doing on the detection side and see how it is evolving to fit the needs of what is being asked of us. And, you know, we we as a profession in police work, we are, you know, we respond to people. People get the police department they want. So whether it's, you know, it may be on the patrol side, it's going to be a lot fewer deployments 
and they're going to be they need to be very dialed in deployments. It goes back to like what Bill said, need versus necessity, and really start figuring out how what do we need all across our country? What do we need to do to evolve on the patrol dog side to kind of catch up with what we're doing on the detection dog side and just keep moving forward? So for like one of our gun dogs, guns and ammo dogs, because you can't in California ship unless it goes to a DO or a DOJ FFL business or you can't ship ammo. Yeah. So we've had one that was going to do a parcel sniff and she didn't have a hero sheet. So it's like, well, you can't really use it for a PC. I'm like, no, you need a hero sheet because you're you're yeah. you're going to do a parcel sniff. So that's one thing about our gun dogs. It's like you still need a hero sheet. Sure, sure. And that was really important. It was like most was like, well, you know, usually you own it, parolee, yeah. probation, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And we're like, no, you you might use your dog on something that's not, you know. So that's one thing. I just sure. wanted to that's put a good that point. caveat that's in. That's a good there. point. Yeah. I mean, know that you're working within policy and stuff. So, Tyler or Chris, you guys have anything else to add on either of those? No, as far as me, I'm same as same as Bill. Uh we've had we've had an uptick in gun dogs coming yeah. through our handlers courses and they're outnumbering the dope dogs. Yeah, it's kind of like, again like what I was saying is that we serve at what people want and if that's what, you know, communities want, then that's what we'll go do. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to move into a question I have from a reader and, and people, you know, we've, I think we've all dealt with this problem and I, I have my ways I've tried to deal with it. It's, uh, everybody, everybody's dealt with it. And the reason I picked it is it's kind of a common problem and, uh, not one that any of us really like having to deal with. But basically, uh, I think I said reader, but it was a listener, but it was a long uh, email. But in the, the gist of the email was, uh, dual purpose, uh, Malinois. Uh, no matter how many breaks he gives the dog before he goes in to train or work, um, he can let the dog out right before he goes in. As soon as the dog goes in a building and starts to work, takes a dump every single time. So, any uh, I've I've seen it. I have some ideas. You know, we'll just start with you, Bill. Have you guys had to deal with that? Well, my first question is: so he's doing this on a training scenario and a real life scenario. Yeah, he, basically what he was t- what he said in his email, and I traded back and forth was. Um, Pretty much any time the dog goes in, when he's after he's made building search announcements, he goes 10, 12 feet and and stops, goes to the bathroom, then goes back to work. And he says it's it's quick, I you know. And so I just so so we can maybe eliminate some of the ideas in the emails. I asked him, you know, the consistency. It's not not like a stress diarrhea kind of thing. He said it's just a a quick poop, then he moves on and, and goes back to work. But he says it's very consistent. They've The dog's healthy. He's been to the vet. Um, he'll give the dog a break. Sometimes the dog will relieve himself. Sometimes he won't. But he said usually like right after building search announcements, dog gets up, starts going, stops, does his business, then he moves on. He can walk the dog around a building, just take him out, walk him through the building. Dog's fine. It's when he gets all geared up. When he's doing announcements, the dog barks, gets uh, kind of uh, drive leaks a little bit, gets a little whiny and barks and and shows it. So he's, you know, he's it's been a problem. He said since he's had the dog and the dog's three. Okay, well, I I, I obviously have the vet completely check him. Sure. That's my opinion first. But if he's doing okay, so we have one dog that a training scenario. Man, he'll search, he'll range out. He knows there's going to be somebody there. And he's done like eight building searches in these past two weeks, and he gets very lackadaisical. And I told him, I'm like, well, your dog knows when he's at training versus when he's, you know, just doing sure. a regular search. I go, you need to hide somebody in there. Once you secure the building, you want exactly. to do it, you know, give him a bite, give him a, a, a civil surrender with a toy. And I, I even told him, put him in the car, drive around the block, come back, yep. and then do it again. I go, so the dog doesn't know. This is just the regular boring crap that yeah. we're doing in patrol versus. But now that you said what you said, I'm like, I'm almost wanting to know if maybe he makes his announcement and somebody comes out with a suit or gives him some kind of like, you know, get the dog's mind off the fact that I'm just not going to go defecate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's somebody in here. Yeah. 
Have, is, I know you some, get a lot of dogs to go through. Have you had any dogs that have that as a problem? Oh, no, no, we have. Yeah, yeah. we've tried, I, you know, not that I want to use, and I've been through your e-collar school and yeah. we utilize your philosophy and everything like that. And I've had a dog, you know, just doing searches. He wants to lift his leg on everything because yeah. he's very feral. Yeah. And, you know, we'll nick him, not punish him, but yeah. nick him. It's like, okay, no, keep working. But give the dog something else to think about. It's like, no, there's somebody yeah. in here. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, you got any ideas? Yeah. I mean, you you guys are kind of, you know, bringing up some points that kind of come into, you know, so when we look at learning and experience, you know, stress and anxiety kind of register in the same realms in this learning aspect of dogs. So stress that like you brought up, Jeff, the way the dog defecates, you know, is it showing itself in the form of consistency? Is it runny? Is it firm, yeah. et cetera? Anxiety, you know, some of us have seen this as cops. You know, the, the suspect we're looking for is hiding in the house. They're so nervous, they take a dump. They don't have, they don't yeah. think, I mean, I, I, I know I've come into it. I'm sure probably you guys have your credit. like, there's a pile of shit yeah. in the living room. What yeah. the hell's going on? And uh, so in, in this case, you know, dogs learn through context and contextual learning. So maybe there's been an, an inadvertent association for this dog that this experience, he takes a natural response, which is I'm going to defecate and then I'm ready to fight. I'm going to clear my bowel. And, and that's a physiological response yeah. that happens in humans. It happens yep. in animals, you know, so without them possibly knowing they might've actually created this. So just like Bill said, when the building announcement gets made, the dog's like, okay, the, you know, now the anxiety is starting to build, whatever other rituals that they're doing. And then as soon as the dog gets in, it's like, okay, empty bowels. Okay, now I'm going to get myself ready for the fight. Yep. And then off it goes. Yep. So that's yep. my two cents there. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Cameron right there on on everything that he said. And I'll just, I'll throw out a term that I use on a regular basis. It's called condition response. Yep. And that, that condition response, I've seen it in a lot of dogs. We are going to function in a stressful environment the way we train. And, and if the handler, and from what I read in your, in your email to us earlier about this question, this is this dog's about five years old. Been on the street for quite some time. Um, I've seen it with a lot of dogs. The handler takes the dog out of the car, and the first thing the dog wants to do is go take a break and take a piss or or take a dump. Yeah. One of the things that I strive for, and and I try and get my handlers to do, and it's tough, but having specific areas in your beat in your area yep. that your dog normally is allowed to take a break at. And those are the places you go back to all the time. If I pop that door open and I start walking away from my car, I'm walking someplace with a purpose. And that purpose is to take the dog somewhere to do his job. Yep. And if the dog leaves me to go pee on the bush or pee on the tire or take a dump someplace, then that's a conditioned response that I've allowed the dog to get away with over time. And it's become a, a regular ritual for the dog to yep. do that. Yeah. That's that side of the that's that side of the coin for for me. I think that this has been trained into the dog, and the dog knows that it's acceptable and it's going to be something that it's going to get to do anytime, and it's ingrained in the dog. And I don't feel that it's something that you're going to be able to fix. With that being said, I've had my dog tear up boxes on parcels. <laughs> And I learned that there was is it the dog in the background? <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Those are corgis things. But I just I I stayed away from those type of situations. Now in this case, the guy's going to take his dog in and do a building search for a person, or or it's a detection scenario or something yeah. like that. He's going to have to work learn to work through that. Okay, it's if it's solid, it's not all over the place. It's one little crap someplace. If it's during a building search for a person, you have got to ignore what's going on with that and keep your tactics sound and solid. I've seen it happen. Dogs taking a break right in the middle of a building search and the handler stops everything and everybody stops and they're all focused on the dog. That's not the time to focus on the dog. Sure. Time to focus on, on covering your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Find, yeah. find the find the bad guy and, and move forward yep. with it. 
it, it's a tough thing to have to deal with. Yeah, it's for a, sure. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be another, if you're going to handle another dog, though, down the road, that's one thing that my piece of advice is find your specific spots where they take a break. Those are the only places that you encourage them to take a break at and separate it from, I, from I think training that's a great and point. separate it from the real life scenarios yep i i when i was a patrol dog handler i had a golf course on the north end of town and one on the south end of town and that's where we went they could be a dog then during the night so chris have you had to deal with this in a corrections it's probably uh kind of a pain uh, yeah yeah i i did in a it was more or less pretty much teaching the dog you know housebreaking him yeah. right being in a being in a facility all day teaching the dog that when we go outside here's the grass you do your spot and again piggyback what you guys are saying with particular spots at our facilities we have we have two particular spots that we go and break the dogs in and actually with the dog that i'm currently working now that i've been working for the last six years when i first got him every time we left the control unit and went into a housing unit he thought he was outside and it was time to pee to break that it was straight from the control unit outside and then i brought him in and conditioned him that outside is where we need to go and then with some of the other dogs, we've seen it more with the stress, stress of training, it being in a handler's course and things like that, which did, wasn't really a consistent thing. But yeah, along the lines with this guy's dog, one of the questions I would ask is, what's his feeding regimen? Is he feeding, you know, getting up in the morning, going before he goes to training? Is he throwing the yeah. dog a bunch of food at that time? That was something I did ask him. He said he had, he had they'd moved the food around, they'd tried different things and with the same result. Oh, okay. Yeah, then it, I'm, I'm on board with everybody else. It sounds like it's conditioned into the dog. Yeah. And I think that's, if I was just to throw anything, I agree with everything. And I think uh, I've seen it. I've seen it several times with different handlers who had that problem. And I think, like Tyler said, it's conditioned. And I think if, if you're running into this, the time to really nip this into the bud is the, you know, it usually would start in training. First time you see it, like I had a dog that started to do it one time on a training deal, and I literally grabbed him by his harness and his collar and drug him out the door, put him on the grass. So it made a bigger mess the first time, but it was not fun for him, you know, to try and do it on the carpet in the building we we're in. So I think if you accept it a little bit, thinking, oh, well, we're worried about later, it's going to keep getting worse and worse, has been my um, experience on it. So it's, uh, I wanted to bring it up because I know it's a, a pretty, it's a pretty common problem and it's a, pain. I, Jeff, so, I completely ahead. agree with what, what, what you said is that sometimes as trainers, I mean, I get, I don't know what agencies he's from or anything. It's like, okay, we'll deal with this at a later date. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll work through it and we just put things to the side. Yeah. And that's, that's something that the more times a dog gets away with it and it becomes a physiological response where I've talked to vets about it and it, they're putting water in their lower, lower part of their bowels and, and then they need to, you know, get rid of it before they go to battle. So it's all part of a, a process that the dog's going through. And I think that the time to fix it is when you first see it and make it, uh, you know, kind of uncomfortable for the dog when he first does it. So, well, you guys, I appreciate all your input. Anybody else have anything to add before we wrap it all up? Tyler? No, no, okay. thanks for having us. Absolutely, Cameron. Nope, we're good. Okay, Chris or Bill? No, I thank you. Uh, thanks for including me, and uh, it was a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Bill. I appreciate it, Jeff, and everybody. Glad to hear from you guys, and hope to hear from you soon. Well, thanks, you guys, for taking time out of your, your day, and we'll do this again real soon. Thanks again. <laughs>